This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. All right, so welcoming back here to Bartholomew Town, our Lieutenant Governor Sabina Matos, who also just had really a, an energetic, super energetic campaign announcement. I mean, it wasn't, it was like a month ago now, but um, yeah. welcome back. I mean, there's so much to get into. There's so many things happening nationally, locally, big picture issues, acute issues. But I guess let's start off like on the campaign side, just with, you know, the the energy to, you're, you're on this unofficial joint ticket with Governor McKee, um, just the energy for the first time to campaign on a statewide basis for you. Talk about that and, and what made you decide? I mean, it's probably pretty obvious, but what made you decide yet yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pursue um, to be retained as lieutenant governor here in 2022? Thank you so much, Bill. So it's not been um, an amazing journey since last year when I was appointed lieutenant governor. I have an opportunity to travel through the state of Rhode Island, visit all 39 cities and towns, um, learn more about the issues that are affecting every uh, single community. And getting a, I have gotten an opportunity to um, work with leaders in different communities and with different on the 39 cities and towns. I have been able to do so much work. Um, we have the areas in which my office has um, a statutory responsibility like uh, the Long-Term Care Coordinated Council. Yep. Um, also, uh, with the Emergency uh, Management Agency um, Coordinated Council also, advocating for the small business uh, community um, with the Small Business Advisory Council. So there's so, um, um, there's so much work that we have been doing in this um, year, and there's so much work to be done. And as you know, I prioritize housing as the issue number one for me um, that I'm working on. And there is so much energy right now around the topic of housing. I'm very energized to see that we have the whole leadership of the state uh, working towards uh, making sure that we're building more housing and building houses at all income levels, starting from the affordable, but also a market rate housing. So this is a, a good time for us in the state of Rhode Island because we're finally paying attention to the challenges that we're having when it comes to housing. So there's so many reasons why I want to continue doing this job. Um, it has, we have done a lot of work, but there's still so much to be done. And there's so much potential still for work that can be done from this office. Yeah, I certainly would like to get deeper into housing and your work behind the scenes on, and, and all that. But just kind of sticking with the campaign side right now, you have... Three primary opponents, one of whom is Senator Cynthia Mendez, um, r- running again in a similar capacity in an unofficial joint ticket with former Secretary of State Matt Brown. I guess you would call them the progressive ticket or the co-op ticket. That's sort of how they've been framed. Um, you also have Representative Deb Ruggiero, um, who is is in this race, and then most recently you have former Rep. Larry Valencia who is running on the notion that he's going to abolish the office of lieutenant governor. So let's start right there. You just named a bunch of things. Obviously, you chair several committees. And, you know, there's, of course, the the elephant in the room, which is that you're the person that would not that's sort of a negative way of putting it. But you're the person who takes over as governor in the event that the governor can't serve. But specifically speaking, what's your message to anybody, whether it's Larry Valencia or anybody else who might say, oh, we don't need a lieutenant governor. We could always have the secretary of state or the Senate president or something, some other succession plan take place. 
What's your message to those folks? I think we have been able to prove um, within this last year that the office is there's a purpose for the state of Rhode Island. There's a lot of work that we have been doing. But within this last two years, what we have been able to see is that we need to have a lieutenant governor that is ready to step in um, in case the governor is not available. And as we saw um, with this experience, uh, we always think about, okay, the lieutenant governor is there in case something bad happens to the governor. But something good could happen to the governor that we saw uh, with Governor Raimondo being appointed Secretary of Commerce. And we need to have someone that is there um, ready to step in. One of the things that I would like to see is that we change our constitution to have both offices running as a ticket. And you mentioned earlier about the run as a ticket. Right now, um, the offices are two separate offices, the office of the governor and the office of the lieutenant governor. Um, the governor has to run his own race. I have to run my own race. Um, eventually, the state of Rhode Island, I hope, will make a change and make it a one ticket and make sure that the offices run together. But as of right now, the Constitution of the state of Rhode Island have the offices running separate. And that's what I'm running my own race on. Yeah, and I, I do think I, I, I would agree completely that it makes perfect sense for it to be, you know, frankly, just part of the administration. We saw with Governor McKee how, let's be honest about it, the guy was iced out of the Raimondo administration's management of COVID-19. He was holding his own press conferences, dealing with small business and so on and so forth. But, I mean, it was an uncomfortable scene. At one point, I think more people thought Brett Smiley was the lieutenant governor simply because he was on stage all the time at the press conferences in his capacity as director of the Department of Administration. You know, so it, it, it's an incongruent and, and, and uncomfortable mode to be in in a lot of ways when you're tackling big issues like COVID, like a housing crisis. It just seems to make more sense to have a uniform administration. And that's why I'm, I'm in favor of having um, the change to the state constitution to make sure that the office runs together as one ticket. But in the meantime, we're running separate, but um, it's good to have uh, the lieutenant governor and the governor having a good working relation, the same way how um, Dan McKee and I have been doing. Yeah, no question about it. Um, let's get into housing. I had it's no secret that housing at every level is a major challenge right now. That includes capital A affordable, lowercase a affordable, middle class, upper middle class, you name it. You know, I have personally seen this firsthand um, in my own life and with a lot of my friends. And again, we're not talking about people who like, you know, are counting on free housing from the government. These are these are folks that have either businesses or full-time jobs, and they're just having a hard time in some cases renting, never mind purchasing right now. That trickles down to a situation where then those folks end up taking housing stock that would otherwise be for people who are more in need of, of lowercase or capital A, affordable housing. So it's a big problem. It's not just as simple as, well, let's build a bunch of, you know, capital A, affordable buildings in Providence and we'll be all set. This is a statewide issue. So what have you been doing behind the scenes and in front of the, the state in terms of the, the state as an audience to address this crisis? Yeah. In the, in the beginning, when I uh, was going through the process of the appointment for lieutenant governor, I was asked early on what was going to be uh, my priority, and I, from the get-go, I said housing. And it's because of my experience um, in municipal government in the city of Providence. 
working with different um, CDCs, community development organizations, and seeing the impact that building affordable housing, or building just housing altogether, the impact that it has in a community, how it transforms a community for the better. And that has been my priority since the get-go. I have been able to advocate um, in the um, internally, speaking with the governor and his team, to make sure that we have funding and more resources available for affordable housing. As I travel through the 39 cities and towns, I have been talking about uh, what affordable housing means. Because what I have noticed is when I travel to different communities, when you talk about affordable housing, people have a negative connotation about affordable housing. But when you start talking to people um, in different communities and you ask them, would you like to have more teachers living in your community? Yes. Would you like to make sure that the seniors that have been part of your community all along but are not able to afford or maintain the properties that they live on right now are able to have a place that they can live uh, and, and they can actually, they're allowed to age in place, that they're not displaced from their community because they're not able to afford, uh, probably because they already retired, they don't have the same income that they had before, or just because of, of their physical uh, health, they're not able to maintain the properties that they had before. So we should be able, we should be able to have units available for seniors that want to continue to live in their communities and they don't want to be displaced. When I talk to the different communities and I ask them, would you like to see firefighters living in your community? Would you like the police officers to live in your community? And that's based on the, the, the perspective that they have. Because when we're talking about affordable housing, we're talking about all income levels. We want to make sure that we have housing available for individuals that are on the lower income, but also um, uh, working um, at the mid-income level. And also, we need market rate because everyone needs to have uh, um, access to housing in the state of Rhode Island. Right now, we have a crisis, and we need housing at all, in, at all income levels. Absolutely. I guess that kind of takes me to a point that I wasn't necessarily even planning on, you know, I didn't, this is a very free form conversation here. I, I wasn't necessarily sure where we'd go, but you know, with the Superman building, it's an interesting situation because obviously you're, you know, Providence as well as anybody in state government. In fact, you're probably the, the chief Providence officer if such a title existed inside the state house right now. And the reality is other than, you know, there's obviously the conversation about the blight of having um, the lights off and the building in disrepair and unoccupied and so on and so forth. But the generative aspect of having the Superman building full simultaneously with a new transit hub in the jewelry district, with the Trader Joe's, with the pedestrian bridge, Plant City, the Wexford building, this is a highly positive thing for the state. And it's a highly positive thing for people who would want to move into one of those 285 apartments. But I've been kind of framing this notion of a new and an old Providence. The new Providence is great. Look, I love the pedestrian bridge. I'm vegan. I'll go to Plant City. I, you know, whatever. But at the same time, if we're going to have those 285, um, about 230 of them will be market rate apartments. What do we do about the old Providence, about the people who are in Elmwood, about the people who are even in the downtown area that are going to be potentially priced out and not have any place to go? So how do we concurrently construct market rate housing that's attractive to a certain type of person 
that can help generate small business activity, so on and so forth, while at the same time protecting and making sure that everybody else has a place to live. So the key here is to understand that the city of Providence um, has areas in which we're able to add more housing. And that's going to transform both the economy of the city of Providence and the economy of the state of Rhode Island. While I was in the Providence City Council, um, the Growth Mart did a study, I don't know if you had a chance to see it, yes. projecting the impact that the growth on the population of the city of Providence and of the state of Rhode Island will have in the economy of the state of Rhode Island. So that's why I have been a big supporter of adding more housing units, and especially in communities that are willing and able to receive them, like the city of Providence. The Superman building, um, transforming it into um, a housing um, building, is going to have a, a great impact to the city of Providence, and also it's going to relieve some of the pressure for those neighborhoods that you just mentioned right now. Because the challenge that we have right now is that many people are getting displaced uh, because of the lack of housing available in the city of Providence. Yeah. I think this units in downtown is going to allow for people that probably just want to leave it right in the in the um, bossing and, and, and all the everything, the activity that's happening in downtown. They can move to downtown and, and alleviate some of the pressure from the neighborhoods like Elmwood, Elmhurst, and the east side. Adding more housing units is just going to help. I don't think it's going to create more, uh, it's not going to add to the problem, it's going to help. Mm-hmm. On top of that, being able to reserve some of those units to be affordable, it just um, also is going to help to make sure that we are not just displacing everyone from the city of Providence, which is one of the things that I have been the most concerned with. If you remember um, early on when I became the council person for uh, the neighborhoods of Oneville, Silver Lake, and um, part of that was in originally, and then Valley. Yep. One of the challenges at that time, it was that there was this perception that Oneville was the place no one wanted to, to be labeled as I'm from Oneville, right? And I, want, I tried to change that perception, and I was very intentional, making sure that I was promoting and highlighting the positive things that were happening in the area, working with the different stakeholders to make sure that we added more housing, affordable housing, uh, working with Oneville Housing, now one neighborhood builder, but also supporting the uh, other projects that were adding housing at different income levels, making sure that I supported the projects that were already there. And I have to say, when I started early on, one of my challenges was with the uh, tax stabilization agreements and the way how they were being handled at the beginning. And I worked really hard with my colleagues in the city council to make sure that we reform the tax stabilization process. Once to make sure that whenever we were given a tax stabilization, a TSA, as we um, refer to in short, those tax stabilizations were committed and, and, and we're very responsible to the contribution that we're doing to the community because the residents of the city were putting the good faith in supporting these projects that were coming in. And at the end of the day, they needed to see that there was good faith also from the developers 
um, in, in their part of country, um, their contribution back to the city. And some of the things that we put in place has helped to be able to bring more projects and more, uh, and more housing developments to the neighborhood and to the city of Providence. And that has transformed the community. That's what we have to do. There are areas in the city of Providence that can uh, afford to have more housing units to come. There are areas in this downtown um, in Providence that actually should be, uh, we should change the zoning to add more yeah. density to it. I don't want to change the, the um, neighborhoods that are traditionally very historic. I want to preserve that. But there are areas in the city of Providence in which we could be adding more density um, to help alleviate the housing challenges that we have. I completely agree. And I think many people would sign on to that in a heartbeat, no question at this point. So thinking happy thoughts here, because, you know, let's be honest, like, you know, let, let's say, um, you know, Governor McKee gets a call, you know, you, you were each reelected, the governor gets a call uh, from the Professional Golfers Association tour, and they say, you know, we saw you playing golf at uh, Pawtucket Country Club. We'd love for you to be added to the senior PGA tour. You're going to be a professional golfer. We're going to give you an exemption. You can play golf every single week uh, professionally. And the governor says, you know what? I've been governor. I, 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 I was reelected. You know what? I think I'm going to follow my dream and become a professional golfer. Are you ready to be governor of Rhode Island? I'm ready to be governor of Rhode Island, but I can tell you that Governor Dan McKee is committed to uh, the people of the state of Rhode Island and he's um, has every intention of running for re-election. But I'm ready to step in if it, if it was needed. I have been working with the different directors. I have a relationship with the different directors, the, the cabinet members, and that is key in order to understand what is happening in each agency and also to uh, understand what is needed um, in case that, uh, that, that, would, that would happen. But I, I, I assure you that um, everything will be under control. So you're, you're up for the challenge of, of being governor? I'm up for the challenge of being governor. Do you think the media has been, been, by and large, and I know that's a very generic term, but do you think the media's coverage of your administration has been fair? You know, there's been a lot of chatter about, here comes the FBI, you know, some people might think that there's going to be some helicopter that, that raids the state house the next day based on the way that some of this chatter has gone. Or do you think that's just part of the job? Look, you know, the, the ILO deal happened. Um, there's, you know, there's mattresses and cars to sell. So they got to put something on the news that gets people to tune in. This is exciting. So it, it's just part of the job. Do you, where do you sit on that? So I have to tell you, I have someone gave me an advice early on. is that you don't fight with someone that has um, unlimited ink, <laughs> that by ink from the barrel by the barrel. So yeah. I don't think that fighting with the media is is never a good a good thing. Yeah. I respect the media. I think that the media has been doing their job. Um, sometimes I would love to see more coverage of some of the more positive things that are happening. But at the end of the day, um, they're doing their job and I respect them and I try my best to send information and, and send you press release about positive things that are happening. But at the same time, um, the media is key for democracy. So I'm, I'm happy to see that they're doing the job. And even though 
when we are in this position, we may feel certain weight about uh, a story of another. At the end of the day, the media is part of democracy, and it's very key and important to democracy, and I will always respect the media. Even if it's unfavorable coverage, you, you welcome it. Last question, you were at the State House last Tuesday night, as was I, for a rally. This was right, I think it was last Tuesday. My time timeline might be off here. It might have been two weeks ago. Um, yes. The, the Lynch Supreme Court memorandum, the Alito memorandum, suggesting that Roe v. Wade could be overturned. You spoke very passionately and had a very enthusiastic response from the crowd of at least 500 people. And one thing that you said that I thought was really interesting and important is that you were going to put... Um, use your platform, use your experience to try to really uh, communicate with the governor, the Speaker of the House, the Senate President about equity in abortion access here in Rhode Island in terms of those who are state workers or or Medicaid, Medicare recipients. And that's kind of the fight, the boots on the ground fight right now in in Rhode Island because of of the reproductive rights um, that were codified here in, in Rhode Island in 2017. If you could speak to that, just generally speaking, what, what do you see as the challenge, the barrier? Do you think that that legislation would make it out of committee? And what can you do to try to, to you know, put pressure on leaders to make that happen? So my style of leadership has always been the one of working and getting things done. I'm not, I don't get caught up with the noise. Yeah. I don't like to get caught up in the noise because sometimes you're not as effective um, when you are caught up in the noise. I prefer to work internally, um, respectfully, reaching out to the governor, to this, uh, pre- uh, the Senate president, to the speaker, and bringing my uh, perspective in uh, my advocacy. I believe that has been more effective for me um, in having able to get things done that way. I have been advocated since I've been in this position for um, different issues, not just the reproductive rights issues. I've been advocated also for the cover all all, uh, all kids to make sure that all children are, are added also for health care coverage. I have been advocated for the seniors to make sure that there was funding going um, to seniors um, organizations that are doing uh, good work to protect our community. And I'm going to continue to advocate on that way. I think um, sometimes we are just too caught up with who's making the much noise, and we think that that is being the more effective tactic. I'd rather work up internally first, and but that doesn't mean that if I have to be vocal and advocate vocally, like I did by sending uh, an op-ed um, in my yep. support for reproductive uh, freedom. I will do that, but I think you have to understand that not everything gets accomplished by being at, at a rally. This work that happens behind the scenes to get things done. That's a great soundbite right there. Not everything gets accomplished by being at a rally. That applies to so many things, and it's so true. And it's like protests and rallies and all of that so important and there's an energy about it that I love personally and I'm sure you do and would assume and most people who love 
the process feel. But the reality is that it comes down to the other side of activism, which is a much more calculated and, and behind the scenes type of, of maneuver. Um, and I think that, you know, you've, you've become very good at that in, in terms of inside the statehouse. That's, that's the rep- reputation that um, you have from speaking with people in the Senate, the House, different department heads, whomever. That's sort of your leadership style. Governor Sabina Matos running for lieutenant governor for the first time and on a statewide basis. And it's only May. You've got a long way to go. But welcome to election season 2022. That's for sure. So there's so much that we have been doing. Um, in I'm the one, I want to continue to do the work 